electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, Bob Iger wasn't kidding. ESPN holding talks with potential partners, and they are probably not who you'd think. Forget tech. One of the hottest sectors of the market, psychedelics. Grab a seat. A surprise ruling sending AMC shares skyrocketing the live trade ahead. AI arrives at one of the world's top automakers. We'll show you how. And a river of ice near Milan, Italy in July this morning. What's going on? Oh, and by the way, if you want proof of a red-hot housing market, take a guess at how much that 86-year-old California house right there on your screen is going for. We're going to show you a little more of the house. Send us your guesses. We got that and much more. So belly up or buckle up or in terms of that house, pay up because last call is up right now. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to do the first ever and maybe last ever, if you don't watch, version of Guess the House Price game coming up in just a bit. You got to see it. All right. Good evening here. Good afternoon, Night West, everybody. Happy Friday. I am Brian Sullivan. All right. First up on Last Call, the marvelous run for your money rolls on by a hair. The Dow 30 finished up today 0.01%, like Bluto's GPA. Two points. But that was enough. It finished higher for the 10th straight session. The Dow, very quietly, now in one of the longest win streaks ever. Now, to be fair, the gains are not huge. The Dow is actually only up about 6% this year, but a pretty remarkable run nonetheless. And you can wow your friends this weekend with this stat. The longest win streak ever for the Dow was a lucky 13-day run back in 1987. So we are officially on record watch, at least for the Dow. The question, of course, is why? Especially with some growing concern about the economy and maybe a slowdown, stimulus money fading, student loan payments set to resume. Oh, and there's this matter of the interest rates being the highest they have been in years. Let's try to figure it all out. Talk about it with our A-list panel. That is Deepwater Managing Partner Gene Munster, Chief Market Strategist for StoneX, Catherine Rooney-Vera, and Big Tech Founder and CNBC Contributor, Alex Kantrowitz. We've got Kate Rooney on later on in the show, Catherine. So you pointed out we've got two Catherine Rooneys on the same show, on the same night. That's some sort of a good luck omen. The market's had some good luck. To what do you attribute some of this run that we've had? Well, it's the luck of the Irish with the two Kate Rooneys. But <laughs> I love it. The markets are certain. <laughs> yeah, the markets are certainly on a tear. And of course, we know the breadth is very narrow. So this is a momentum-driven uh, market move. And I think if we can play the market, we can continue to remain strong in or long in equities, but perhaps rotate out. Now is the time to rotate out of those overextended growth stocks led exclusively by, you know, the magnificent seven and, and, and tech. Yeah. 
and move into the cyclicals that will also benefit from this momentum, sentiment-driven, multiple expansion rally year-to-date, um, but have not yet done so. And I'm citing specifically materials and financials, yeah. for example. Yeah, and Gene, this is the part of the show where some genius on Twitter is like, hey, man, nobody cares about the Dow. I get it. The Dow, no one's trading the Dow. I, I get that. But it is the thing that's in the headline of the local news, the local paper, the national news as well. And to Catherine's point, Caterpillar is outperforming Microsoft or Apple in the last 12 months. I mean, you're kind of a tech guy, but even you, your cynical nature, Gene Munster, must be wowed by how some of these non-tech companies are doing. Uh, I have been wild, Brian, and I think ultimately is uh, we were too bearish at the beginning of the year. And as we've seen the economic data come in, along with a lot of investors, it's gotten us to be more optimistic. We don't want to play the momentum game. We want to look at ultimately what's most important, which is the fundamentals. And I would put this run in the Dow and the NASDAQ in very simple terms, is that our last year we've been hyper-focused on interest rates. And as that hyper focus starts to shift to a couple more rate hikes this year and the lens focuses on next year where we're going to see some uh, probably the lack of rate hikes that will likely be steady. I think that is an opportunity for these tech stocks and, and the market more broadly to move higher in the near term. And so mm-hmm. I'm uh, optimistic. I want to be I have a critical eye to this, but all signs are for a soft landing. Yeah. Uh, Michael, but, and by the way, apologies. I think I called you Alex earlier. We had an Alex Kantrowitz on a couple of days ago. I'm getting Brother old. from another mother. Yeah, I, I turned 52. I, I, I've lost it. It's over. Anyway, I'm not sure I ever had it. Anyway, Michael, so my apologies on that. Um, listen, technology, does technology have to participate? I mean, we all love, to Catherine's point, the Magnificent Seven. If they falter, can the rest of the market do okay? Um. I mean, I guess if you define falter, uh, if they stay uh, that, flat or turn down the rest of the year, can the S&P rise if they don't? You know, I think I'm trying to think what kind of macro backdrop would would uh, precipitate that and probably one where inflation keeps coming down and the soft landing narrative persists. So, yeah, it's possible. You know, if the labor if the labor data does not uh, further weaken and inflation comes down, I think that's that's exactly what you'll see. Gene, I saw you shaking your head when I asked that yeah. question of Michael slash Alex. Yeah. I want to make sure I got the question right is, can the market work without big tech can the S&P? Here we go. In fact, I'm going to ask you all the same question we'll put on Twitter. Why not? Can the S&P 500 go up if Apple, Microsoft, and a couple of others do not? My answer is no, no chance, not just because the weightings, but just the psychological impact. What's beautiful about tech is it's about the future. It's about optimism that's inherent in the markets. And so ultimately, if these big, if the Magnificent Seven stumble, it's not only mathematically hard, but I think it has a contingent factor on the psychology of the broader market. Catherine, you agree? I absolutely agree, but I think earnings have to meet expectations. So the soft landing is 100% discounted into the market. And I would put the probability on it actually not happening. So I would prefer to be defensively positioned in a market that's trading expensive, led by seven stocks, primarily by tech, uh, and has not yet broadened out. I think that's ripe for uh, problems. And my suggestion and what I'm advising our clients at Stonex is to put on defensive positions, hedger positions, buy cheap puts. The market is exuberant. There's a high level of complacency. 
So protect those long positions. Yeah. You, know, you can play, you can stay, stay in the market and, and, and stay long risk, but this is the most overcrowded trade right now. I, I don't, you, you guys are making me a little bit nervous, Michael, with this, to be honest with you. I mean, because if, if the market itself, the S&P 500 cannot go up 500 stocks unless six or seven go up that have already gone up a lot and at some point will stop going up. I don't, that to me is almost an unhealthy market. I don't want seven determining everything for 500. I know the NASDAQ, they reduced the the weighting in the NASDAQ 100 of those stocks, Michael, from 56% to 44%, but there's still 44% of 100. Ah, that, that's, how do we view that as not a negative? Well, I mean, for, you know, we, we cater in institutional investors, so the, the market weightings of these names don't matter as much. Obviously, if you're buying the index, that that does matter. Um, and so, you know, I think if we think about why the market's up so much uh, since October, uh, and I agree with Catherine, we've uh, fully priced, I would say we've priced out all the inflation concerns from last year on a number of metrics you can look at. The VIX is back to low single, low double digits. Um, utilities has uh, completely unwound all of its relative performance from last year. Uh, the PE of the market's back near 20. So we're, we're back to levels we kind of were before people realized inflation wasn't transitory. So I, I do think that these bigger names are going to struggle to move higher, though I think they uh, still have potential to do so because that's still where there's incremental earnings improvement yeah. And earnings is going to remain scarce. So, you know, I would agree with Catherine again that the defense, which has been left for dead uh, in a market that's quite euphoric, uh, looks pretty attractive on a relative basis and no one likes it. Yep. I once described the market as a bowling ball sort of balanced on top of a pencil. And now I'm a little bit more nervous than ever. Michael Kantritz, Catherine Rudy, Vera, and of course, Gene Munster. Thank you all very much. And have a good weekend, by the way. All right. That said, it wasn't actually a great week for other indexes. Of course, since Monday, the Dow is up. It's been up 10 sessions in a row. The S&P up a little bit. The Nasdaq, though, actually fell a touch this week, down just under 1%. But inside the markets, your studs and duds of the week in the S&P 500, a clear trend. Banks and financials. Look at this. Zion's up 17%. Schwab up 13.5%. Key Corp up 12.5%. Those were the studs, the best performers of the week in the S&P 500. Of the duds, two of them were advertising. Interpublic Group and Omnicom, the leading two decliners, followed by Discover, which is, of course, having some accounting issues around that company. But what is going on with advertising? Maybe something for us to watch or dive a little bit into next week. All right, up next. A surprise ruling lighting a rocket under AMC shares tonight. We'll get the breaking developments. Plus, ESPN wasting no time meeting with strategic partners, potentially. We've got inside details on some high-stakes talks. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. 
That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva! All right, welcome back. We have got a Friday game for you. Can you guess the listing price of that house? It's in Newport Beach, California. It's right in the water. Gorgeous views. Now, the house itself, 3,600 square feet. The lot size, just under half an acre. It was built in 1937. First time it's been on the market, by the way. It's been owned by one family since 1937. There's your view. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. 3,600 square feet. You can see the neighbor's house right there. Take a guess on the listing price. Tweet at SullyCNBC or at LastCallCNBC, and we will reveal what that house can be for, if you want to buy it, how much it's listed for later on in the hour. All right, time now for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the stories that you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning, CNBC style. First up, AMC, a judge unexpectedly blocking the company from converting its ape preferred units into common stock, sending shares for AMC to the moon. They're up 62% right now. Ape down 18%. This is a conversion. It's a little bit complicated. Point is, very good for AMC, very bad for APE. Don't see a 62% stock move after hours very much. All right, next up, some fresh intrigue on ESPN's potential future. The company has held talks with the NBA, NFL, and baseball in search for a strategic partnership. This news coming only about a week after Disney CEO Bob Iger expressed his desire to find a potential partner for ESPN. Joining us now is the man who broke the story that's rocking the sports world. That is a man who rocks the world on that grand piano behind him. And that is CNBC's Alex Sherman. Alex, great scoop again. Working the phones on a Friday night. Really appreciate it, my man. Could we see a day where literally... The NFL like owns part of ESPN? Maybe. I mean, that's what ESPN seems to be floating out there. Uh, I think this news is a little surprising. Um, when Bob Iger made his comments last week in that interview with our David Faber, I think the initial reaction from the investment community was he was probably talking about a big tech company like Amazon or Apple or Google, some sort of large partner, because he referenced two things. He said... If we're going to make a deal here, we want to bring some value to the table in either content or distribution. And the big tech companies have large global streaming platforms, and maybe they could help uh, a a streaming ESPN from a distribution standpoint. But these talks obviously speak to the content side of things. And who, who better to hold talks with from a content standpoint than the leagues themselves? But to your point, Brian, this would be sort of unprecedented where all of the leagues would take a stake uh, in a media company, in a media entity, and it speaks to the kind of -of out-of-the-box thinking that both the leagues and Disney are now going through as they transition what has been a glorious business. ESPN has made billions and billions of dollars for Disney. It's also thrown billions of dollars 
at the leagues themselves with all of the rights fees that ESPN pays for. But now that you're transitioning to a streaming world, that old model goes away and a new model takes its place. And it's unclear right now that that new model will be nearly as lucrative as the old model. So that's why these discussions are taking place. In a very rough way, if I'm getting what you're putting down, Alex, it's almost like it's one of our viewers being paid by his company or her company partially in stock, right? The company comes and says, you know, I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. We can't afford to pay you the salary you want, but we'll give you this salary and throw in some equity. It sounds like cash conservation is kind of the key. Am I is is that fair to say, Alex? 100 percent fair to say you look at Disney's free cash flow the past few years. It is dramatically lower than what they'd like it to be. Why is that? Because streaming has been a money losing business for Disney. So now Disney's starting to think about. How are ways where we can generate cash when this traditional legacy media business, which has been such a cash cow for us, is going away? And oh, by the way, Disney owes Comcast at least, let's say, $10 billion, if not more, because Disney is on the hook to buy a third of Hulu from Comcast back from a 2019 deal. That deal has a trigger point of January of 2024. So if Disney's about to hand $10 billion over to Comcast, that's even less cash that they have on the table. So they're thinking about different ways where they can get assets without having to hand over billions of dollars of cash because after that $71 billion deal for mm-hmm. Fox, they just don't have it. Yeah. Uh, great scoop. Great breaking story up on CNBC.com. Alex, let's you enjoy your weekend. Thank you, my man. All right. Thanks, coming Brian. up, your eyes are not deceiving you. Look at that. That is a river of ice today. In Italy, hail, and it gets even stranger. We'll show you. Plus, AI meets the assembly line of BMW, the enormous implications for BMW and automakers everywhere. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, for today's RBI, we're going to take a look at something very, very weird happening in northern Italy with the weather. Obviously, you've heard about some of the heat in parts of southern Europe. Take a look at these two extraordinary videos. Hailstorms triggering flash floods in towns near Milan, Italy. Officials say more than 100 people were injured, and that is not all. There have also been reports and even some videos circulating of a small tornado tearing through the region as well today. The bizarre conditions comes as a heat wave hits other parts of the country, along with Greece and Spain. Officials in Sicily reported a 20% jump in hospital admissions due to the heat. In the meantime, it's in the mid to low 50 degrees in parts of Germany. Random, interesting, and insane weather. All right, meantime, seven leading AI companies have announced a potential landmark deal for the industry with the White House. Eamon Javers joining us now with more. Eamon. 
Thanks, Brian. Executives from seven top tech companies joined President Biden in the Roosevelt Room today to talk through these issues as the president announced their agreement to a set of commitments to cooperate on things like allowing outside testing of their AI apps before their release uh, into the digital marketplace and digital watermarking of AI-generated audio and video. Now, President Biden said he is also going to work with U.S. G7 allies about rules of the road globally, and he hinted at potential future executive action that he could take even before Congress advances legislation. We must be clear-eyed and vigilant about the threats emerging from emerging technologies that can pose, don't have to, but can pose to our democracy and our values. The seven companies invited today included big names like Amazon, Google, Meta, Microsoft, and OpenAI. Now, several of the companies issued statements today praising the move, with Google saying today is a milestone in bringing the industry together to ensure that AI helps everyone. That was Kent Walker, the president of global affairs at Google and Alphabet. Uh, and Microsoft President Brad Smith said in a blog post, by moving quickly, the White House's commitments uh, create a foundation to help ensure the promise of AI stays ahead of its risk. So, Brian, you can think of this as the beginning of a regulatory effort when it comes to AI, but there's clearly more to come here. For now, these are just voluntary agreements, and they don't have the force of law. Back over to you. All right, Eamon, thank you very much. All right, speaking of AI, it is making a growing mark on the auto industry. Revenue from sales of autonomous vehicles expected to reach over $70 billion in just 10 years, according to Future Market Insights. But AI-powering self-driving cars is not the only change. Artificial intelligence also being infused into manufacturing. BMW Group shifting gears to AI to stay ahead of the game, reshaping their manufacturing process. Andrea Day is here now more with, the, with that story. Andrea, good to see you. <laughs> good to see you too, Brian. So we just got back from BMW's plant in South Carolina. Now that's where 60% of the SUVs sold here and the states are built. So if you own a BMW, it was probably made right there. We got an exclusive tour of their latest AI tech in action. Take a look. We're at the BMW factory at Spartanburg, South Carolina. More than 8 million square feet in size. 1,500 vehicles come off the lines here every single day. Over in the body shop, robots weld three to 400 metal studs onto the frame of every SUV. That's about half a million studs each day, applied by machines and now managed by AI. We're gonna walk up to one of our laser radar stations. BMW's Curtis Tingle says further down the line, AI technology checks to make sure every stud is precisely placed. If it's not, AI tells the robots to correct it. No human intervention needed. This fully closed loop removes the, the human thinking, the human manual intervention directly out of the equation. He says the new tech has dramatically improved efficiency. We're achieving five times of what we thought was even possible before with what the AI is achieving now. It's already saving the company more than $1 million a year. And Curtis also tells us it's allowed them to remove six workers from the line. The AI ever need a coffee break? That's the beautiful thing about AI. It does not ever need a coffee no break. No Starbucks nice. needed. No, not for this. BMW tells CNBC this next level AI tech is patent pending and that it was developed right here in South Carolina. From the body shop, 
to the factory floor. We're on our way to go see another AIQX inspection station. Where BMW's Camille Roberts explains how new AI software is helping speed up their existing inspection process. It's taking pictures of the braces on each side. As SUVs move down the line, 26 different cameras throughout the floor are snapping photos. The logo, the emblem, door gaps, window frames. We also look at wheels. That's when Camille says the AI kicks in, identifying issues and flagging them for a human to fix before an imperfect vehicle gets shipped out. It's not really humanly possible to inspect every single car. The production numbers just wouldn't meet the global demand. From the factory floor to the future, in a few months, you will see this assembly line turning here. VP Oliver Bilstein on another AI tool being put to use. The first step is we have a so-called factory scanner. It's a device you put on. The guy you see walking through the factory there has a 3D laser scanner on his shoulders. It's taking super high resolution images that AI uses to build a three-dimensional digital twin of the plant. The digital version of the real-life factory allows BMW to instantly make adjustments and understand how it will impact production before they implement a change in the real world. You have the real world, the real factory in the virtual world, and all the planners worldwide can access it online. And that's just the beginning. Oliver says one day soon, the AI tech implemented here will learn to discover and recommend new ways to make the automated assembly line even more efficient. It's definitely a game changer. All right, we asked BMW if the new AI is costing any human jobs, and if so, how many have been lost so far? According to BMW, no employees have been lost to this new tech. In fact, the workforce has actually grown by more than 20% over the last six years. So, Brian, they're hiring, not firing. Yeah, and technology tends to do that despite dire things. That's All right, right, so if they're That's not right. being let go, what are they going to be doing? They're not being let go, so the AI is going to work on the studs, and the humans are going to more complex, sophisticated things where they're using their brain more, and let the AI just do what it does. How cool... My, my, actually, my uncle worked for Michelin right next door, basically, in Spartanburg, cool. South Carolina. I never got a chance to see it. I was fascinated. Just like, how cool. There's a robot carrying a car. I know. It's like a transformer. <laughs> and it was like a transformer. And it's huge. It's massive. And the coolest thing is, you're watching this, and all the cars are going down these lines, and they don't stop. I mean, everybody's moving and doing all these things, but they continue to go down this yeah. line. And you say, I'll take this one in green? Yeah, I'll take this one. I mean, 60% of the SUVs that are you know, sold in the States are come from right there. It was incredible to see. And you said it, Transformers. There are these massive things above your head, yeah. hoping that they don't fall down on you. They clearly, clearly <laughs> did not. And the, and the place, by the way, was spotless. It looked spotless. spotless. Maybe they cleaned up because they knew you were coming. No, no, no. Spotless. Spotless. Bavarian Motorwerken, BMW. You know what? <laughs> you know what Audi stands for. A lot of people don't know. This is random, okay. but a lot Here of people don't know what Audi stands for. Okay. Auto Union Deutschland Ingolstadt. Nice. Auto Union was a company. It's Ingolstadt's the name of the town. Germany, obviously, Deutschland. Auto Union Deutschland Ingolstadt. You're full of incredible Just information. My, as my wife says, my, my brain is a hamster wheel of garbage. <laughs> Your brain is incredible. I need some psychedelics. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about psychedelics next. Up next, forget about tech. Psychedelics, suddenly one of the hottest areas 
on the market. Send them over. Plus, in just about a half an hour, Lionel Messi will make his debut with Inter-Miami, we think. And that city is rocking. We're going to head live to one of its bars on the Messi boom for South Florida. Stick around. Welcome back to Last Call. Investors are suddenly turning on and tuning in to psychedelic medicine companies. They are now one of the hottest growing areas of the market. Kate Rooney joins us now with more. Kate. Hey, Brian. So you might call these shroom stocks. There are dozens of public companies now looking to psychedelics for medical use and chasing FDA approval. Shares of some of those names were crushed last year, along with some of the more speculative pockets of biotech, but have staged a comeback in the past month or so. You've got a tie. MindMed up double digits. Same with the psychedelic ETFs. One of the founders of those companies, Atai, says investors should value these names like traditional biotech. They're based on binary bets, really, for drug approvals, but they tend to lag the broader sector since they may still be too controversial to be a takeover target. So if you look at what dominates biotech investing at the moment, it's like looking for those companies who are very soon, hopefully, be taken out by pharma. So the fact that pharma is very hesitant to move into psychedelics takes that fantasy, so to say, or that catalyst, that near-term catalyst away. He also talked about some of the hype in the industry. More than 50 companies are now looking to associate themselves with these drugs. Not all of them have patents or viable business models. These companies are focused on psilocybin. It's the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, and it's being tested in controlled clinical environments for mental illness. Researchers at Harvard and Mass General are among those studying the, com- uh, the compounds. rather. And despite some stigmas around the drugs, they say there is proven upside. For those that it does help, it can, it seems to have a tremendous impact, um, you know, because these are folks who've tried other medications that just haven't worked for them. And so, you know, and this provides them the first relief that they've known in a long time. While the success of these companies heavily re- relies on FDA approval, some Americans aren't waiting. They're finding treatments abroad. Entrepreneurs are looking to retreats like Myco Meditations in Jamaica that can run you anywhere from $7,000 to $20,000 for a week, sometimes to treat depression, sometimes just to tap into more creativity. Beyond the pure therapeutic approach, um, those people that need to be, be, be perhaps step back a bit from life and take a broad view, be it the business that they run or be it their life in general, um, these big uh, therapeutic doses of psilocybin can certainly help create that perspective, lead to more creative flow of ideas. Doctors and experts we spoke to expect FDA approval within the next five years or so. The FDA also granted breakthrough therapy status to psilocybin and MDMA. That acknowledges the drug's potential and can streamline the approval process. Brian. Kate Rooney, really fascinating story there. Kate, thank you very much. All right, now let's take it to our next guest, who is pledging $100 million to help further psychedelic research. Joining us now is the founder of LA-based footwear company Tom Shoes, Blake Mykoski. Blake, thanks for joining us on, on Last Call. You heard Kate's piece, not that you needed to because you're an investor in this. How do we get rid of some of the stigma that's attached to traditionally what we traditionally think of psychedelics, you know, dropping acid and, and twirling the dark star? Well, I think that what we see is that um, we have a mental health crisis in our country and the modalities and the therapies that we've been trying to use for many years have just not increased the results. 
and we need to look to something different. And I believe that you know drugs like psilocybin and MDMA are actually not drugs, but they're very potent medicines. And I think the research at Johns Hopkins and NYU and other universities have shown this, and that's why I'm very bullish on this from a philanthropic basis. What what do they do? These micro doses or whatever dose size these are. What would they do? relative to what no doubt a lot of our, our CNBC audience may be thinking of as sort of hallucinogens or tripping or stuff like that. What, what, is, what is the impact? How does it impact the mind and the body? Well, let's use um, a plant medicine called Ibogaine as an example. Um, you know, there are many uh, of our vets uh, that are struggling with um, you know, a lot of mental illness, PTSD, often committing suicide. I mean, I think we have 20 uh, veteran suicides a day, which to me is just mind-blowing and, and so, so sad. And they go down uh, out of the country now because it's not legal, but to Mexico or somewhere else and have an Ibogaine treatment. And this, this, this medicine um, allows you to see um, what goes go back to the cause mm -hmm. of your PTSD and also allow you to understand you know, what path of destruction of your life you're on. And by seeing that in a different perspective and, and in a visionary state, um, it oftentimes heals them and, and they come back and they're off all the pharmaceuticals, they're living regular lives, and it's, it's truly a miraculous healing. Yeah, do you know a guy named Christian Angermeyer? I don't know Christian. Okay, no. you should. So Christian, Christian and I are sort of, you know, I know him a little bit. We're not friends, but I see him at conferences and he's a German guy, he's a, he's a billionaire. And he's never had a drop of alcohol in his life. He is the most straight living dude I've ever encountered. I don't think he's ever, I don't know if he eats sugar, that kind of thing. He <laughs> swears by these psychedelics. His company, Aperion Investments, is invested in a company called Atai Life Sciences. Um, sure. I'm only bringing that up because you've, this is a guy who is the straightest living guy I, I, I've, I've met, and yet he says this is the future or part of the future of mental health treatments, is there a difference between the different medications or drugs that Kate mentioned? Are there, are there different treatments for different things? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, what we're finding is, is that for PTSD, uh, the MAPS protocol with MDMA is probably the most effective. Um, then you look at something like psilocybin uh, for depression or end-of-life anxiety has been incredibly valuable and also for working with addiction. Yeah, and how do you, you're pledging the $100 million. Um, you founded Tom Shoes, obviously amazingly successful entrepreneur. You're pledging the $100 million. Uh, do you invest in this space directly, Blake? And if so, where? Uh, I am an investment uh, in a tie. Um, but most of my money is going to philanthropic causes. You know, I'm working uh, by funding research studies at the VA, for instance, uh, John Hopkins, research at Berkeley, um, you know, really focusing on the areas that I think are most important. Uh, also, recently, my philanthropic investments in MAPS, which is the organization that is commercializing MDMA right now and is very, very close to FDA approvals to uh, the stage mm -hmm. four. So you know, I'm, I'm really trying to spread my resources across the board, mainly focusing on how do we get the most access to the most people who are suffering with these medicines. Yeah, and uh, Tithe is the firm, by the way, that uh, that uh, Christian, this guy that I know that I referenced, also is invested in as well, a name to look at. Yeah. Blake Mykoski, really appreciate it. Good work, thank you.
Thank you very much. Be well. All right, coming up, Bud Light sales struggles will not go away, and there's an unexpected beer, maybe, that is stepping up. Plus, if you missed it earlier, we've got a new, maybe first time, long time, whatever, real estate guessing game for you. Look at that house. There's the lot, Newport Beach, California, 0.4 acres, 3,600 square feet, right in the water, by the way, built in 1937, first time it's been on the market since then, owned by one family. Look at that house again, there it is, built in 37, 3,600 square feet, 0.4 acre lot. What's the listing price? Send us your guesses, we'll show you later on in the show. All right, first up on your last call, watch us on this Friday. Warner Brothers Discovery, some great early numbers for the Barbie movie. It raked in 22 million bucks at early previews yesterday. Opening weekend getting underway in full. This weekend, Warner Brothers, which could use a big win, has high hopes for the movie. It was made in partnership with Mattel. Also on your watch list, American Express. Earnings showed record revenue for the credit card company. Still missing some Wall Street expectations. Shares of AXP down about 4% today. One positive note, restaurant reservations on their Resi app hitting a quarterly high, and it looks like investors have been taking notice. Look at the restaurant gains this year. Red Robin Gourmet Burger up 169% this year. There's the beef. Shake Shack and Chipotle all surging as well, nearly every restaurant stock up this year. In the meantime, Ron DeSantis taking aim at Bud Light, a Florida governor and presidential hopeful ordering a probe into its deal with transgender social media influencer Dylan Mulvaney wants to know, whether Bud Light's parent company breached its duty to shareholders over the deal. By the way, things apparently not getting any better for Bud Light. Americans have apparently dropped it as their top beer when going out to eat and drink. The new favorite is Miller Lite. That according to new data from On-Prem Insights, they track ordering trends at high-volume restaurants and bars. And their data shows the Bud Light collapse not getting better. Miller Lite? Surging to number one, Bud Light's not even number two. Number two is Michelob Ultra. Why? Number three, Coors Light, Bud Light, following all the way from first to fourth. Now, whatever you think of this kind of stuff, it's definitely having an impact, not just on sales, but on investors. In the past three months, AB InBev stock down by 10%, while Molson Morrison, Morrison, Coors, he said, I've not been drinking, has popped 20 yet. 20%. The question is, with criticism coming in from all directions, is it even possible for the Bud Light brand to be fixed? Joining us now is Wharton School of Business professor and CNBC contributor, Americus Reed. I don't want to say never, forever. I hate those types of words, Americus, because you never know what's going to happen. But if you were going to advise AB InBev execs right now, what one or two pieces of advice would you give them? It's a great question, Brian. Here's two pieces of advice that I would give uh, the thought leadership there. And I would say that you have to choose a side because now that you've opened up this can of worms, it is now very much uh, important that you don't come out and sort of wishy-washy sort of in a, in a light, you know, light way uh, deal with this. Now you've got to come out and have a full-throated response about what your reaction is and which side you're going to ultimately land on. And so you know, you have to be clear about this. And unfortunately, in choosing a side, you know, you're going to give up some consumers. Uh, but the idea is that the consumers that you do draw in based on ideological points of view 
would potentially be more loyal to you from a, a customer lifetime point of view. Or, or, you know, do you try to get your old customers back or do you try to maybe say, OK, you know what, we're going to be all in and just try to get some new customers because maybe those old customers are not coming back? I don't. It, that's a great question, Brian. I don't think the old customers are coming back because I think that at least the data is clear here that this is just too far afield from the core user of the Bud Light brand. And so I think Bud Light really has to sort of say, well, where are the demographics and psychographics going so that we can address maybe a new customer? And this new customer will be part of this new customer will be a part of this the LGBTQ plus community. So I think it's a strategic decision, but it, that's what marketing is. Marketing is choosing yeah. a particular and going after it. It's not like a Tylenol thing. I mean, it's not, you know, th those are real problems you could solve by making the product healthy or new Coke and the disaster 30, 40 years, whenever it was years ago. This is a totally new kind of problem. It's a huge new problem, Brian, because you, you hit it right on the head. It's like beer is beer. So it's not clear that any consumer could tell the difference if you took the labels off. So a lot of it is this notion of brand and brand can be driven by talking about features or it can be driven by talking about identity and talking about connections with purposeful driven marketing around ideological points of view. So if that's the choice that you choose to do as a brand, you got to lean in on it and you have to just accept what those consequences are. America's Reed, Wharton School. Really appreciate you staying late on Friday, America. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too, Brian. See All you right. soon. Thank you. All right, coming up, the moment sports fans and South Florida soccer fans have been waiting for. Lionel Messi may be about to take the field, but we're going to take the show into a very popular hotspot down there and show you Messi mania in action. All right, all show we've been asking you, can you guess the listing price of this house? It's in Newport Beach, California. Look at that, right on the water, gorgeous views. It's 3,600 square feet. It's on a lot just under half an acre. There's the lot. All right, it was built in 1937 and owned by the same family since then. We asked you what you thought it was listed for. There it is. A lot of guesses, 3 million, 6 million, 15 million, even 30 million from our friend Julia LaRoche. Well, the house is on the market for 74 million dollars that is the listing price bring up that video of the house again six bedrooms 3600 square feet so a lot of a lot of bedrooms in there kind of wedged in with some other homes but still look at that view right you can't you can't replace that 74 million that is over twenty thousand dollars per square foot does it come with that boat that appears to be chugging right toward it 74 million hey good luck if you get it, let it, if you're the realtor out there and you have this listing and you see this, let us know when you sell the home and for how much. $74 million. I'm in for $740. All right. In the meantime, it is almost time for the moment we have all been waiting for. We are minutes away from Lionel Messi's big debut with Inter Miami, but the soccer star could start from an unfamiliar position. Co-owner David Beckham says there's a chance Messi may come off the bench tonight. Still... Messi's debut, whenever it happens, tonight or some other night, will be a huge win for Major League Soccer and local businesses in South Florida. Let's talk about it. Bring in Jared Galbutt. He is the co-founder and CEO of Bodega Taqueria e Tequila. It is a restaurant chain in South Florida that is hosting Messi debut watch parties. Uh, Jared, uh, see some action behind you. How big of a deal is this signing of Messi for you and your business? Well, first, uh, Brian, thank you for uh, having me on. Uh, Messi has been a 
really tremendous impact in South Florida. I mean, he's such a global superstar, and Miami's been on such a path uh, for growth over the last couple of years. So it's been a perfect match, and really all businesses down here, you know, the MLS uh, has seen such a, like, it, it's been so tremendous, and now, you know, there's restaurants, uh, businesses, everything revolving around programming about when Messi's having an event in a game, um, so we're really excited to have him down here and, and see what's to come. Yeah, and, and there's like, you know, these site. He apparently he was at like the Publix supermarket the other day. It's like it's like messy sightings, like Bigfoot. You know, he's like blurry, like in the, in the thing. But you you've spotted him. Is it gonna is it gonna as a business owner, Jared? Do you think this is gonna last? Like, do you do you change your buying behavior? Do you buy more tequila? Do you buy more tortillas? Well, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we buy more tequila, um, but he has, uh, you know, like, like I said, Messi's a global superstar. We really, we really never had someone in South Florida with that type of impact. Maybe you could say LeBron James, uh, you know, it feels somewhat the same, but I think this has got the potential to be something even bigger. Um, and I think that it's not really about what's happening now, but about, about what's going to happen in the future for growth in Miami. They, they talked a little bit about that tourism is anticipated to go up almost 10%, equating to $400 million in additional tourism revenue down here. So we're getting ready for it. We're buying more tequila. We're buying more tortillas. Uh, we're ready for messages. Yeah, fa- fantastic. Otherwise, Jared, while we got you on, and by the way, I think you have, I think I can see CNBC on behind you. We appreciate that. Last call, big shout out to everybody. Always who is, who, uh, Yes, it is. Every, to everybody who is there. How is business generally? You guys, South Florida, like it or not, basically never shut down. I, you know, I snuck out of New Jersey a couple times myself. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, South Florida has always been on fire. I'm born and raised here. Our brand, Bodega Taqueria Tequila, our first one was in South Beach. And uh, since really COVID was a catalyst for us, uh, that we've now expanded and have uh, almost 15 locations nationwide uh, that we're planning to open uh, over the next uh, 24 months. So uh, we're really bullish on South Florida. Uh, and I think it's only going to continue to grow. And uh, Messi is uh, a huge part of that. Yeah, you know, funny, late 20, early 21, people from New Jersey, New York, California sort of whispering, I'm going to Florida. Don't tell anybody. Uh, congratulations, Jared, on your all success. Have a great time tonight. Have fun at the messy party and happy National Tequila Day, apparently. Jared, be well. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All right, very welcome. Well, speaking of tequila, you know what happened 36 years ago tonight? One of the most iconic bands dropping one of the best selling albums of all time. Best named singer named after a car part by far. All right. Who doesn't love Welcome to the Jungle, Paradise City, whatever? It's one of the many singles on Appetite for Destruction. The band's debut album had made them global superstars. In fact, Guns N' Roses sold more than 30 million copies of Appetite for Destruction worldwide, making it, I believe, one of, if not the, best-selling debut albums globally of all time. Folks, thanks for watching Last Call. We will see you next week. Have a great Friday and a great weekend. Shark Tank is next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.